Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm the associate pastor of NextGen here, which basically means that I get to be a pastor to you guys um, and spend all kinds of time playing with and hanging out with kids and teaching them about Jesus. And I love it. And it's so good. And it's so good because I get to have my hands and my fingertips in all of the different ways that the church is reaching and meeting the mission of Christ. And together in this, in this kind of journey, we've, uh, we've entered into this new series where we are looking at uh, primarily the book of Acts and, the, and Christ's mission, both for the capital C church, like all of the church, everywhere, and the little C church, like us. Um, Actually, that's the opposite. Like, but to me, we're the little church. Like, we're, we're the small part of what God's plan is. And so uh, we get to look at how Christ's mission, how he invests his mission into his people through, through the book of Acts and through Luke and this journey towards what it means for us as a church to understand and to look at what God is doing. And today we're going to look back a little bit at Luke. So we're going to be spending a number of weeks kind of at the first, first part of Acts, but Luke is the, this guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel, or, and the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the Apostles. So we kind of have this example of how Jesus lives and how the people of God, the Apostles, the followers of Jesus, live out that faith going forward. And so today we're going to take a look back we're going to look at Luke start in chapter 5 and kind of how Jesus interacts and calls his people towards mission and how it's communicated. So um, would you pray with me? Uh, and I'd invite you to actually extend your hands. And this is just as a symbol of receiving and being open to what God may have for you this morning. Let's pray. God, would you pour into us? Would you use this time as a time where we can be reflective both as individuals and as a congregation, Lord? Would you demonstrate your way and your love? Would you give us hope and would you give us a vision of what you have for this place in this church? In your name, amen. So, um... A number of years ago, I, start, I started this workout thing. Um, I, I have traditionally in my life not been a person who is actually like really good at athletics. Like I, you know, I played baseball as a kid and I was, I was fast as a seven-year-old, but like that fast kind of wore off by the time I was 10. And so it, then it just became like a liability on the base paths when I was playing, when I was playing baseball. And, uh, you know, I was, I was really great at soccer. Actually, I was really great at standing in the goal and, um, and trying to put my body in front of the ball. And I, I, I basically was just this mostly mediocre athlete overall. And I never really found a rhythm of healthy working out and working out practices. And, um, and part of that was because I just didn't like it enough. Like, I'm a passive observer. I like watching things. But 
as I got older and I realized that this is a necessity in my life, I got involved in CrossFit. Now, I don't know if you know anything about CrossFit. It's basically like how to die in a workout class. Um, Everybody makes fun of CrossFit because uh, there's one rule of CrossFit, and it's you must talk about CrossFit. So if you do it, you, you have to share with everybody in your entire known universe that it's something that you do. Um, and nobody really understands it, but it has like this cultish following of people who were like, yeah, I CrossFit and it's cool. Um, and so I got to join that world a number of years ago and started doing this thing. And what I discovered about myself is... I really liked it. Like, I really, like, I've gone to the gym before, and I've worked out before, but there was something unique and crazy and strange about how CrossFit impacted my life. And so I was like, what is this about? And, uh, and you would be surprised, Harvard Divinity School uh, in 2015 published a study about how millennials, especially my age range, are being engaged with fitness classes almost as a substitute towards religion. It's, it's incredible. And basically what these guys did, um, so it, two people named Thurston and Tukurli, uh, they looked at this huge swath of organizations and said, how are these places interacting with people the way the church has traditionally interacted with people? Because uh, we are the generation of the nuns. Me, meaning me, like the you know, those 20 to 37-year-olds or something like that, whatever you would call the millennials, we're the generation of the nuns. We have a higher percentage of people um, than any other generation before us that would not affiliate with any religion, would not even say that they're religious. And basically, it's almost, it's a fifth is what the numbers are. To me, it's way higher than that, but I don't live in the South, so I'm going to give them some grace for the Bible Belt um, for people saying they're, they're Christians down there still. But uh, we... We basically have five times more people who are unaffiliated to religion than any generation before us. So they're looking at how, how this whole thing plays out. And ultimately, they came down to studying 10 organizations that look at six different themes. Themes that the church has always met. Community, personal transformation, social transformation, purpose finding, creativity, and accountability. Um, And basically what happened is two of the top 10 organizations were CrossFit and SoulCycle, these major fitness revolutions. So like, you know, there's like the heavy lifting and there's the like, we ride bikes and and it's fun. And what I kind of discovered in looking at this thing was that they have created community and created unity and created relationship based on some key fundamental things that I think sometimes we forget in the church. That, that have basically been these foundational principles of how the church related to the community for years and years and years, and, and we sometimes don't do them as well now as some other places do. And so here's, here's the thing. Um, the thing that they do that is so incredible is they have have this innate ability by being a place that lives off of people actually paying to do something painful and awful, Um, right? Like, now, some people might say that about the church. Like, we make a living out of telling you that you have to live an awful life and not party and not do all those other crazy things, right? We 
we, we sometimes can get that same kind of reputation, but they actually get people to like sign up to like actually do it every single week. So here's the thing that I've noticed in my time in CrossFit and through this article about how they engage people. They actually care about the presence of people. Uh, and especially of new people. Like if you go on any CrossFit website, there are terrible ones and there are good ones, but they are almost entirely and exclusively directed towards new people. Like there's the one little portion for other people, but they're almost entirely directed towards how you join, how you get involved, what's, what's the next step. Here's free ways to try and come, come and try it out because we want to get you in the door and we want to do these things. They're, they care about the presence of new people. Um, they have a clear path to participation. So there's, there's clear, markable steps for how you do this. And in, in including that, they actually have beginner's classes for people who have nothing, no idea what they're doing. And I like to look back at my time as a beginner in CrossFit and realize I was really impressive. Like me lifting my PVC pipe and not using weights and like feeling all cool about myself as like I raised it overhead, all three ounces of it, and being like, look at my perfect form and getting ridiculed by one of the top athletes in the sport, my trainer who has gone on to compete in the CrossFit Games and now runs one of the largest organizations for CrossFit. And I'm like, man, back in the good old days, like she knew me. She doesn't know me anymore, but she knew me way back then um, as like somebody who was like a decent beginner. And, um, and I felt like, oh, wow, look, I'm valued. I'm seen. I was given this path of participation. And then I was put in the big class and I was like, this is harder than I thought it was. And it was great. Um, uh, the third thing they do. So th- care about new people, invite you to, uh, invite people to participate. They also then invite you to intentional community. There is this incredible thing about how CrossFit relates community to people. Um, I have never been a part of something where when I showed up, people valued that I was there as much. Like, it, it's actually incredible. Like, I can't, I cannot, I can't convince you that this is true. And I think this is true. Of, there's, it's not just CrossFit. There's all kinds of other ways in which this has happened, and this is true. Like, I'm sure that Jay feels this way in the Krav circles where he's actually a decent athlete. Like, I, I have no idea how to actually fit in, and yet i invited to things like they do barbecues they like they invite you to participate and to do it and when you don't show up like I actually just signed up for this new thing I've been doing CrossFit here in Simi Valley for the last like month and a half and like I didn't go for three weeks and like I got like two emails in my inbox like hey we missed you everything okay like you injured like what's going on we just want to check in and I'm like oh how cool is it to be invited to something to, to be missed, to be cared about enough, to be known and to be seen. Um, the fourth thing, I think this is one of the most kind of incredible, they go through adversity together. Like nothing breeds community like going through adversity together with somebody. Like nothing, nothing breeds relationship better than walking through something hard with somebody else. This is why it is actually a blessing on others when we share our burdens, right? Because it blesses them when we walk through adversity together. And this is kind of part of the thing. And then the last thing is that we know through Scripture that adversity brings connection and challenge breeds growth. The challenge, the difficulty of the, the life of working out in CrossFit or doing something like that 
is that you actually grow towards something. And it takes work, and you see the results, and it's meaningful and incredible. So as we kind of look at ourselves today, and we look at, at how, how Jesus informs this journey of belonging and connection, uh, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Luke chapter 5, 27. And, and this is the thing, like when we look at this, when we look at, at understanding what it means to be a part of Christ's mission, we have to be open and, and willing to look at and understand how we pursue Christ and how we are a part of the problem and the solution of others serving Christ. And this is where we start. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teacher of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, it's actually distinctly different. We, we look at the, the story of Jesus, and we... We are confronted regularly with this sense of that, uh, of understanding that the religious structure doesn't matter to Jesus. Right? Like, we look at this passage and it, it essentially says, like, Jesus called Levi and Levi leaves everything. And I think this is going to be important for today because repentance is a key part of participation into the community of Jesus. Repentance and leaving what your old life looked like is part of this, this journey into life with Jesus. It, it begins with that. But as we kind of look at the story of Levi, now if you don't know who Levi is, Levi uh, is the Greek name for the disciple Matthew. Matthew is this Hebrew name. So we have this conflicting world where there's two different, there's different names for different people, Paul and Saul. Uh, we, we see these things. Jesus and Joshua, Jesus and Yehoshua are the same name in Hebrew and Greek. They're, they're this, the God, the, the one who saves, the saving one is what, what that looks like. So um, you have Levi and become, we, we hear him more referred to as Matthew as he leaves this Greek life as a tax collector and enters this religious life as a follower of Jesus, the, looking at his name as Matthew. So uh, we... We see this transformation in him, and yet Jesus looks at the Pharisees, and he says something incredible, right? Like, I didn't come here for the righteous, I came for the sinners. And we're all like, oh yeah, Jesus, sticking it to the Pharisees again, we love it, we're so used to hearing this story. But I would argue there's something else to this. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at how God has been working, like how the church has been in the past, in this time of Jesus and now, uh, how it should be, 
like what Jesus is confronting and what it needs to become and what we're, what we're looking at. So it has been. What has it been? And what it has been is a structured religious practice. Like, so Jesus um, is in the, the context of a system where the Pharisees are the upholders of the law. They value the law so dearly for some very clear and important reasons. If you know anything about the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, there, is, there are all these books written um, by people or that basically proclaim what the prophets say. And the people of Israel have gotten stuck at numerous different times and, and not followed what the prophets said. Not done what the prophets have have, have told them to. They have not followed God in the way that they've been informed that they should be following God. And the result of this is their death and destruction. Right? You, you look at it and it's like, and this person loved God and this one didn't and this one didn't and this one didn't. Like the kings of Israel and this one didn't. And then the Babylonian exile comes and they get carried away and they live in exile for 70 years because they didn't follow and do the things that God had asked them. So the Pharisees are actually very important. The Pharisees are the way that the people of God stay connected to the important rules and regulations and rights and practices that God has basically said, if you don't follow these, you're going to get thrown out and be, be conquered and put into exile again, right? So we actually have this very important religious institutional practice, this structured religious practice of how it is. But Jesus seems to think that that is not the key of what it is. So we have to look at what Jesus says it should be. Right? We look at the story of Jesus and it and it interacts a little differently. The the people, the Pharisees are the ones who probably have it right. And yet Jesus turns it on his on its head and and almost makes the Pharisees seem like the bad guys. Right? You have these people, these tax collectors who are, who are completely crushing the Israelite people. You have these sinners who choose their own way over anything. And you have the Pharisees who desperately want the people of Israel to follow God. And Jesus says, my story, the story of this, it's like the calling of Levi is a different way of engaging the world. That Jesus is in fact most concerned with who, for those who are lost and discarded. Jesus is most concerned with those who are lost and discarded. He gets that there's a religious system. Jesus doesn't come to, like he says, he, I do not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He didn't come to crush the religious system. He came with a particular focus toward those who have been lost and discarded by society, who have chosen, maybe through their own choices or through their own things, how to follow God, kind of not following the rules or doing their own things. Or maybe they've just chosen not to follow God because it's too hard. Or it's nice to have money and we don't want to live the way that those people live. Or I like doing this thing and I'm not willing to give it up for the sake of this, these religious rule followers and all of these other things. And so we start to see that the way God invites us to be is actually about those who are lost and discarded. 
And finally, what should we become? We should, be become, we should become a place where the broken, oh, a place for Jesus to work in the live, lives of those who are repenting. A place for Jesus to work in the lives of those who are repenting. Because what he says at the end is that I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners, to welcome sinners to repentance. And here's, here's the funniest part about this whole thing. Right? That as a church, as people who look at the ministry of Jesus, we are invited to make this place a place about Jesus working in the lives of those who are repenting. We are. We're, we're invited towards this thing. Um, and we don't always do this well. Sometimes we do it really well. Uh, in the last year, Melody told you about Team World Vision and some of the stuff we're doing. But in the past year, this is, some of you guys are probably saying, ah, oh, that's not my thing. I'm over it. Stop talking about all this running stuff. And um, I will uh, when you start getting on board because uh, <laughs> it is an incredible picture of the kingdom of God for us. It really is. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to interact with Jen uh, with Jen Healy this week, and she sent me some statistics. So I think, uh, I love statistics. I'm weird like that, but I'm going to keep them pretty simple overall. Right now we have 42 people signed up and registered for the marathon. Seven of those are not people from our church. So we basically have a uh, one in five rate of inviting new people to be a part of something. But here's, here's kind of maybe an even more incredible statistic. Because we were doing Team World Vision, there are three other communities of people who have been inspired by what we did that are also reaching others and reaching out to others as a result of that. Nueva had their sign-ups for Team World Vision last week and, and signed people up. We, we had somebody who ran with us last year who brought it back to his church and convinced them to start reaching out to their community through Team World Vision and to do some of these things. And so this, this thing is dynamic and growing and interactive and kind of weird and crazy and fun and all of these things. So uh, I'm going to go back to these things that CrossFit does really well. And, and I think when I think about Team World Vision and what we've been doing uh, here, the reason why it keeps coming up, the reason why it keeps becoming something that we are talking about is because it is probably the thing that's doing this most successfully. The invitation of new people with a clear path to participate. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean running. It might mean serving. It might be, mean cheering people on. It might mean donating, get, like, donating snacks or showing up to the marathon event and like ringing your bell and yelling at people who are in excruciating pain and encouraging them along the way. It could be that. Uh, it might mean... An invitation into real community. I, I don't think we realize sometimes how easy it is to invite people into real community. Like, I, I don't know if you guys were here the last time we baptized people, um, but all three stories of Milana and Trisha and, um, and Holly were all about real community that came through Team World Vision. Because of how our church impacted and invested in the lives of each other. Now, I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm actually saying maybe we need to do this better in other areas of our church. Um, 
They go through adversity together. There is nothing that breeds community like talking like about blisters on your feet. Like there just isn't. And, um, and when, we, when we start to be real and personal and talk about the hard things in our lives, regardless of what, what it is, like that breeds something and adversity breeds connection. And this is how I know adversity breeds connection. James chapter one, starting like this is the James, if you don't know anything about James, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this book, and it basically is your template to how you're supposed to live out faith. Um, it, it's the reality of living out faith in life and, and following it. And it starts this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Because when we go through, through adversity, when we go through challenges, when we go through life and struggle together as a community, when we walk in the burdens of each other, we actually grow closer. And it's in that that real community is found. And I think sometimes our church not even just our church, the church in general, that every church all over the place everywhere. There are certain places that are doing this well. But overall, the impression that the church of the kingdom of God, the universal church, gives us is that we don't really care about the community of people. When a new person shows up, their impression... Like, we want them to feel good. We want them to enjoy the worship. We want them to whatever else. But we also just want to hang out with our own friends. And it's easier just to hang out with our own friends or talk to the people we know. We don't always give them that clear way in which new people are cared about and given ways to participate and be known and invested in. So if the way that Jesus interacts with people and calls his disciple to is asking for them to change the way they do community. Then let's look back. Let's, let's go back again to, to Luke. To Luke chapter 5 verse 27. I've added a little bit of emphasis. If you can see it. Uh, after this Jesus went out and saw the tax, tax collector by the name of Levi. Sitting in his tax booth. Follow me Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Like, Peter, James, and John don't do this, right? They, have, they take convincing. They have to throw their net into the lake and pull the fish out and see the power of God. Levi is sitting there doing something where he has alienation and mistrust written all over his face, where people hate him, yet it looks like he's rolling in the money and everybody's excited. Uh, you know, everybody would want his life, but and secretly jealously wants his life, but they're not willing to like sacrifice their things, you know, that what they know is right for that life. Um, and he gets up and he leaves everything and follows them. Then Levi held a great ban banquet for Jesus. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. Now, I think this is really funny, right? Like, they went to a party, 
at some rich dude's sinner's house and are complaining that the party's at the rich dude's sinner's house, right? They, they have now entered into the world of the rich dude's sinner because they kind of want to be with Jesus and or they're following Jesus around and kind of seeing what Jesus is about and they're complaining to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's funny because the implication is not that tax collectors are sinners, just that there are tax collectors and sinners here, um, which is kind of strange to me when you think about it because the real issue with tax collectors is not that they're breaking the law, which they might be taking more money like we see in uh, different stories like Zacchaeus um, who climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see uh, and then he gives, you know, he, he gives money back to all those he's wronged. Um, and somehow he has enough money to give them far more than he's wronged them with. So he's making money, um, but he's not wronging them as much as he's earning. Uh, tax collectors. So some tax collectors might be sinners, but that's not necessarily the implication. The implication is that all, whether they fit into the religious structure, are welcome at the table with Jesus. All. The Pharisees are welcome. They're part of this religious awful structure that Jesus basically confronts. The tax collectors are part of this awful structure of crushing the people of God. And sinners who are all about their own personal needs and rebellions and choices and issues are part of this whole thing too. And Jesus answered them, it's not the, so actually, they're talking to the disciples. So I think, like, if you guys are talking amongst yourself, right? Or you're talking to me. Like, we're having a conversation outside, and you're like, oh, Matt, here's all the issues, right? And Dan is like way over there doing something else, and Dan turns and is like, uh, let me address that, right? So Jesus actually says, you're talking to the wrong person, that comes to me, right? This comes down to what I have for you. And Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But here's the craziest part of this, right? Like, we know we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. As it is written, this is from Romans, but this isn't just in Romans. This is actually quoted from where it says, as it is written. It's quoted from Paul, from, I'm sorry, from David twice in the Psalms, and then by the most wise man ever, David's son, Sol King Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 7.20, says the exact same thing. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none, no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The Pharisees know this. This is not like something that Jesus makes up on the spot. This is not something that Paul basically says. Like, there is this reference back to the idea that it doesn't matter who you are or where you are sitting right now in the pew in front of you. You and I are all rebellious. We all are not righteous. The Pharisees are not righteous. The tax collectors are not righteous. The sinners are not righteous. But Jesus invites them in to community together. This is the incredible journey of what it looks like. So what should we become, church? My 
my understanding of where God has us is that we should become a place where Jesus can work in the lives of those who are repenting. Not who have it figured out. Actually, in fact, in the lives of those of us who know that this journey is hard and we don't know if we're always willing to put, put the right step forward. Uh, he, here, here's the thing, church. We, as people, sometimes miss that we have to do the work in our lives. And we make coming to church or uh, viewing those people who are around the church or uh, in the global context to call themselves Christians. And we say to them, you're not acting like a Christian. Here's the rules of being a Christian. Don't you know? It's all written down. Like the Pharisees had it figured out. They had all of the rules. And they forgot that it wasn't about certain acts that they did. Certain, certain behaviors that made them holy. How much they prayed. How much they gave and tithed. It, it was about their heart. There's certainly a place for all of us. When we look at the question of what Christ's mission is, to be a place for those who are sinners and broken, for those who know that life is painful and awful and terrible, for all of us to gather together and to walk through the burdens and the challenges with one another. That we would be willing to see in our lives this opportunity to step into the values of what other people need. See, the Pharisees, they, they kind of get part of the picture, right? They actually call people to something hard. They actually invite them into community. They just do it by expecting you follow all of the ways that they think you're supposed to follow God. I think we do that sometimes as a church. As a, as a global church. I'm sure that we do it too, although I think we're probably more perfect and special than that. But I'm sure as a global church, we, um, we struggle with this, right? This is the, the refrain from, from the, the atheists or the, the whoever else out there, right? It's the, if you really cared about people, or I don't need that to be a good person, I can be good, because we make it so much about all of the good things that we have to do. And that actually doesn't set us apart anymore. It doesn't. Being a good person doesn't set the church apart. In fact, we are asked and invited to be a place of people who know we can't do it. To know that yes, we want to be good, that that's part of the journey, but that it comes out of, it, it breeds out of the fact that we are going through adversity together, that we are living real life with our friends and neighbors, that we are engaging them in deep and meaningful conversations, that we are talking to them about their lives, but that we are pushing them to know Jesus more because Jesus is the one who transforms lives.
Jesus is the one who brings us to repentance. The Pharisees never convince Levi to turn away. And Jesus walks up and invites him into meaningful relationship and it changes his whole life. We have to become the kind of place, the place where Jesus can work in the lives of those who are repenting. And this means we have to be intentional about making the church a place where they can come, where we can come with our own stuff and our own issues and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I don't know what to do next. I don't know. And to be loved all the same. So are we being like Jesus in this? Are we looking at every interaction and every opportunity as an invitation to stand in in adversity? To invite people into real belonging where, where they're not just told how to act, but invited into a relationship with the living God who made them and loves them and created them and, and knows their inmost being and exactly how to empower and change their lives and bring them into relationship with him and live into the fullness of what God has made them and purposed for them. And church, for us to ask the same question, how is God making and shaping our church uniquely in our community, not to do the things that some other giant churches might do, but to do the things that we are uniquely at an advantage to do because of how God has gifted our community in this place. We have to be a place for Jesus to work in the lives of those who are repenting. Let's pray. God, would you, would you lead us? Would you draw out our brokenness? God, maybe there's some of us who are, are here today and are absolutely broken. God, would you help them find community today? Would you challenge each one of us to be their life, to care for them where they are, to walk with them towards you. God, in repentance and confession and and recognizing the areas in which we've gone astray, but God, looking forward to the new things that you can and will do. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. May we turn away. May we come towards you. Would you walk in with us in our burdens and our challenges? In your name, amen. Well,